0: Good evening. We're in Acts chapter 27. You can open your Bibles there. And as we're coming to the end of this book, I'm almost bummed. I'm just, I wish it would just keep going. What I love about the book of Acts is we're on a journey. We've been on a journey with The early church with the disciples right after the resurrection. And then the last portion of the book of Acts is following along with the Apostle Paul. And what an amazing person. What an amazing man. And what depth to this man. What conviction. What determination that he has that just, you know, kind of puts us in awe. How many times he has been persecuted for his faith, physically beaten, and yet gets up and continues without hesitation. And we've seen him grow in his ministry and in his walk. We've seen him from the early days when he got kicked out of Jerusalem, and he was causing too much problems to coming back, and and having a little more wisdom in his communicating, yet still being persecuted. And... Now we're kind of in his area where he's been taken captive. He's under guard, so to speak. It's a liberal kind of guard where he's not under heavy, um, you know, it's not like he's a prisoner in chains. He was in Herod's house for a period of two years, kind of confined to quarters but not oppressed with his, you know, imprisonment and now he's on his way to Rome because as we saw last chapter when he was before Agrippa and Festus he wanted to go to Rome and Agrippa said you know this man would have been released had he not appealed to Caesar and what a climactic point it was last week as he was there before Agrippa saying that he wished he too would come to this faith and Agrippa said do you do you think you can persuade me in just this one moment to to be a christian and paul said i wish i could i wish you were like me except for these chains and we we talked about the picture of paul there in his lowly attire and his lowly you know physique and presence there in the pomp of these roman officials and how here he was saying i wish that you and all your pomp could be like me and what a picture that was and what compelling words those are to hear the depth of his belief and faith in God that even though I am here a prisoner and even though you're there with all your royal robes and everything, I wish you could be like me. And I wonder if we can say those things, have that conviction to people around us. You know what, you guys? I wish you had what I have. It means so much. I wish you were where I was. And so we continue with Paul's journey. And and, you know, as we're going on to this journey, I I think of James's words, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Because it seems like whatever Paul does, it just involves trials. And you know that God was producing a lot in his life at this time. So let's read the first few verses here together. Chapter 27 says, When it was decided that we, notice the word we, because that's including Luke now, and that means we're going to get a lot of detail. Whenever we is there, Luke goes into detail. and We're going to get a lot of nautical terms here as they're on this voyage. Whenever that happens, we just get a lot of insight with Paul and the journey. So when we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramathenaeum, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that he might, they might provide for his needs. And so it starts off saying, we're getting on the ship and talks about the people that are on the board, that there is this man, Julius, who is the centurion, the Roman guard, and he's basically, the centurions were the backbone of the Roman Empire. They were the ones who were in charge. They were the generals, so to speak. And so he's basically over 100 men. Julius is there, and he goes with these other people. And we see that when they landed at Sidon, that Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. First of all, Luke is allowed to be with him and a few others that seems to be familiar with and wonder, well, how could they, if Paul is a prisoner, be allowed to be with them? Well, again, Paul was not someone they considered dangerous. He wasn't a murderer. They, they basically said, this guy, really, nothing wrong. We're don't, not even sure what to try him for, but he's appealed to Rome, so he has to go. And so Luke might even have gone with him as his physician. We know in Second Timothy chapter 4, I think it's verse 11, that Paul says, and Luke is with me still. Luke, the beloved physician. So Luke might have been there to care for Paul. And so your physician can go with you. He's there to kind of take care of you because they saw Paul as a Roman citizen. But what a neat thing it is to see this man, Julius, showing kindness to, to Paul. And it's interesting because throughout the scriptures, whenever a centurion is named or mentioned, it's always in a good light. A centurion is never looked upon in a bad light throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament. Well, only in the New Testament, but... Especially in the New Testament, we see the same is true with women. That they're never put in a bad light. And the centurions, in the same way, they they only come across well. We know the one where the centurion asked for Jesus to come and heal his servant, and he said, you don't even have to come to my household. Just speak the word and it will be done. I too am a man of authority. I could say to this person, and they'll do it, I know your authority. And Jesus said, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And he commended him for that faith. And so we see the centurion at the cross saying, surely this man was the son of God. And so again, centurions are looked in a kind way. And this guy shows kindness to Paul. And I wonder why. I wonder why did he show kindness to Paul? Was there something probably about Paul already that had been known? We don't know how long he actually knew Paul. But something about this relationship that said, I want to bestow kindness to this guy. I want to to give to him, I want him to have this, you know, I'm going to cut him some slack. Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. What a beautiful scripture, what a beautiful picture. If our ways are pleasing to the Lord, even our enemies can be at peace with us. There's something about pleasing God and living for God that it disarms those around you. And that's what we see with Paul. Something about him was disarming. Where this Julius Centurion said, you know what, go ahead, you're on leave. I'm not worried about you running away. I'm not worrying about you escaping. I know you're a man of integrity. I can trust you. Go ahead, meet with your friends. They'll give you whatever things you need for the journey. They'll supply, they'll refresh you and they'll go ahead and take care of you. And so we see that Paul there gets this favor from Julius and in verse four it says, from there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra Myra in Lycia. I always wanna say these words wrong. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off, yeah, that place, (laughs) Sridis. When the wind did not allow us to hold course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Solomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, Near the town of La Now we get just from these small verses that they're having difficulty. Remember the ships back then; they weren't like sailboats that we have today, where you know the would. I'm not a person that deals with sails. You know, I know tacking has to do something with getting the wind to get favorable with the sail, but they were fixed sails. They had one mast and they had one sail, and you're kind of stuck. You had these rudders in the back, and you might have some guys rowing, but it wasn't like we know sailing today. And so going against wind is a tough thing, trying to maneuver that one mast and to make it catch the wind, and they were just battling to get from place to place. And finally, they land in this place called Fairhaven, which sounds nice enough, but apparently it's not fair enough for them, because in verse 9 it says, Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the feast. This is after the Passover, after Yom Kippur, and the reason this is mentioned is because now we know it's pushing into October, heading into the winter months, and the wind is going to be something to contend with now, and after this period of time, we know from A lot of historical accounts that the wind is against them from where they're at trying to get to Italy. And so it's an uphill battle right now. They've been going from place to place to place, and they're not getting much success. In fact, now it's become dangerous because you're getting into the the storm part of things. I don't know if any of you watched that program, uh, The Deadliest Catch, Those Crab Fishermen. You know, where these guys are out at the Bering Sea in Alaska, and they show these waves crashing over them, and you know, it's (coughs) called the you know deadliest catch because usually someone loses their life, you know, regularly doing that because they get washed off into the sea. Well, it's that kind of a thing. This isn't like, well, let's sail up, you know, to Catalina or something like that. This is like, this is dangerous. This is your life is on the stake. If you're going to go travel like this, your life is at stake here. And so there's these people on the boat and they come to Fairhaven and they've got a decision to make because it's dangerous. It's late in the year. Paul warned them in verse 9, the end of verse 9 says, Paul warned them, men, verse 10, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. He made a decision. Now, well, let's read on. Verse 12. Since the harbor was unsuitable for winter to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Fairhaven isn't a good place to winter in there's not a lot happening there it's facing the wrong direction where it's going to be difficult on the ship just to be harbored there let's try and get to phoenix phoenix is a lot better port and phoenix was kind of known for being a a, a sailor's port there was a lot of things to do there's a lot of carousing that could take place in phoenix if we gotta stay somewhere let's stay somewhere nice i don't want to be stuck here in fair haven where there's nothing to do, if we're going to have to be here for a few months, let's make it to Phoenix. And, and so we see that they have to make a decision, but their decision is made by impatience. We don't want to stay here. Come on, let's, let's get to this place where we can have our fun. Let's get on with this. I want to get past this place. Let's move on. And, you know, sometimes our lives are like that. Have you guys ever made decisions, rash decisions, because you weren't patient? it's like, yeah. It happens quite often. Patience is difficult. It's a difficult thing. And making decisions when we're impatient can be a dangerous thing. Again, James tells us, be patient, James 5, verse 7 and 8. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James gives this example of a farmer has to be patient for fruit to be produced in their lives. Well, we're the same way. Waiting for the Lord, be patient. If you're patient, if you wait, instead of just reacting and doing something or being foolish in your life, living a life that is foolish, if you're standing firm, you're going to produce fruit. Your life is going to produce something for God. And so they were impatient, wanted to move on. Second thing is the centurion, Julius, took counsel. He took counsel from Paul, and then he took counsel from the others. Counsel is important, but good counsel is important. Because bad counsel can be as telling and here he made a bad decision. Of course, he didn't know who Paul was. He didn't know the backstory that we know of Paul. He thought, here's this prisoner. Yeah, he, he's a good guy. But here's the captain of the ship and these guys who are seamen, you know, that travel to sea. I probably, in his situation, would say, yeah, I'm going to listen to these guys. Paul, Paul has no mincing of words, you guys. It's going to be disastrous. You're going to lose cargo. You're going to lose ship. You're going to lose lives. Don't do it. This is... And of course, we know the backstory that Paul has already been on ships quite a bit. We know that he's been shipwrecked three times in his testimony. So we know Paul is acquainted with these things. Paul has been there. Goes, guys, it's gonna be bad. And, and you wonder what Paul's like, you know, Paul's just like, oh, here we go again, you know. This is gonna be bad, guys. It's gonna be disastrous, It's gonna be lost. there's gonna be loss of lives. And Julius is saying, Wow, that's pretty heavy. And what do you guys think? Let's get to Phoenix, man. <laughs> Dude, come on, we can make it. You know, That's just my portrayal of attitude with these guys. But he doesn't receive wise counsel. Of course, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, but his seat is in the seat, or sit in the seat of mockers. Wise counsel. Who are we going to take counsel from? And we've got to be careful because a lot of people offer advice. Everyone wants to tell us, the right way to live, the right things to do. You know, well, listen to Aunt, you know, Jane. She's been married seven times. She'll know what to do in a marriage. You know, it's like, well, maybe Aunt Jane isn't the right person to listen to. You know, you got to take wise counsel. Who's the right person? Who's going to give you godly counsel? Because it's amazing how many times you'll hear someone say, "Well, my friend says this," and it's like, "Oh my gosh, that's just awful. That's an awful way to think." Why? Because it's not godly counsel. And so he took bad counsel. And again, the motivation for their counsel and what they wanted to do, let's get to Phoenix, it's going to be easier. A lot of times decisions are made based on ease, not based on what is right or wrong. This is the easy way. Well, is it the right way? Well, no, but the right way is hard. You know, if I lie about my taxes, it'll be easier. If I'm dishonest in this, it's going to be easier. But is it right? No, it's wrong. Then you get the audit. (laughs) Now it's not easy, is it? And so making the right decision for the right purposes, not just because it's going to be easier or going to be fun. Again, Phoenix, hey, let's get to Phoenix, man. It's like, let's get to Vegas. We'll have a good time there. We'll be able to, you know, party, enjoy our winter there in Phoenix. You know, Proverbs twenty one seventeen says, "He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich." In other words, if you just give in to your natural physical tendencies, your depravity, it's gonna, it's not gonna be good. And so these guys were motivated. You know, they wanted to get there for the wrong reason. They were impatient, took bad counsel, and it's gonna show. It's all gonna come to the surface. And and I think we've all been there. You know, we can all think of times in our lives where we've made impatient decisions that were based on just ease or, or whatever. I just want to get out of here. I want to do something. I want to get done with it. You know, I I, I use my house as an example when we did the room edition, I just wanted to get done so much so that I had to do everything twice, you know. <laughs> it's like I did it the first time. I was like, oh that's not right. Okay, take it out. Let's do it right now. And that's how our lives can be sometimes. You know, oh, if I would have done it right the first time, then I would have saved time all along. But Paul stuck with these guys, and so they want to head on to Phoenix. Verse 13, we're going to see now the storm. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Again, here's a lot of nautical terms. Wait, anchor, you know, set sail. Here they go. A gentle south wind began to blow. I wonder how many lives have been allured by a gentle south wind. It looks nice. You know, sin is pleasurable for a season. That gentle south wind allures us and say, oh, look at." hey, it's going your way, and you give in to it. And here they saw a gentle south wind. They said, all right, that's our cue, let's go. They set sail, pulled up anchor, and started off, saying along the shore to Crete. But before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeastern, I know in King James it actually has the Greek and Latin name, but basically it means Northeastern, swept down from the island. And sure enough, right after that, gentle southwest wind calls you, you know, begins to glow, that south wind begins to blow and says, come along, it's it's nice, it's easy. Let's go, let's go. Man, then comes the hurricane. Then comes the hurricane. You thought it would be easy, you thought it would how many lives have been devastated because they listened to that? South wind blow, it was gentle, it was easy, and then they got hit by the hurricane. And we've got to. Be careful that we don't give in to those things because we give in to temptation and you reap what you sow, you reap what you sow, and be careful we don't give in to those things that are alluring, that seem like, oh, that's pleasurable, that's going to be nice, this is our chance, let's go for it, and then here comes the hurricane called the Northeastern. Swept down from the eye. In verse 15 it says, the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Claudia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Cyrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw throw the cargo overboard. On the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved." try and capture the gravity of this situation. They're now caught in this storm. They can't go with the wind. They're being dashed everywhere. They have no means of moving forward, so they have to give in. Wherever the wind's going to take us, that's where we're going to go. They start strapping the ship, and what they would do is tie the ropes from one end of the ship under the ship to the other because, remember, the planks were going long ways with the ship, and so as the storm's coming, it starts kind of spreading out and water starts coming into the ship, so they want to strap the ship together and try and bind it to keep the planks from opening up. Because as the boat's being beaten up, they have to try and hold it together. So this is desperate. we got to hold the ship together to keep it from falling apart, to keep from filling up. The water's coming in, they start throwing stuff overboard because if the ship is heavier, More water's going to come in. They start throwing the cargo over. They start throwing the tackle over. So they're desperate. And then when it says no sun or no stars, they didn't have a compass. How do they know where they're going? You don't see the sun. You don't see the stars. Where are you? You're in the middle of the sea here and you've got no direction. And for many days, they didn't know where... Many days... Have you ever been on a road trip? Man, one day. Seems like if you're driving for one day and it's like, ah, oh, will this road ever end? At least you know where you're going. <laughs> they're on the ship. They don't know where they're going. When are we going to get... Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Who knows? Who knows when you're going to be there? And many days. We're going to find out that it was gonna, later on it's two weeks that they're traveling. Two weeks. On this ship, being beaten, striving, trying to get there, and so when he says, "Yeah, we gave up hope of being saved," they lost hope. It's like, oh man, this is never. It's been two weeks. You'd give up hope too, most likely. Most I probably would. On a ship, I'd like, okay, yeah, oh well, whatever, you know, let's give up. I fought it as long as I could. I, I've try it as long as I could but if I don't have hope to make it then uh, what is there and so here they are in this condition and what I love about this story is when hope is lost that's when God shows up when there is no hope there's no sun, there's no stars there's no direction I'm wandering out here I'm just lost at sea I'm I'm tossed to and fro, as James tells us, you know, I'm just without a paddle. What do I do? That's when we see God shows up. And he does so through Paul. And after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, and Paul, not one to miss an opportunity to say, I told you so, (laughs) stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice sis, not to sail for Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Now, it, it's important to note that Paul waited before he said, I told you so. He didn't do it right away. He didn't do it when the ship, when they were all like, you know, fighting. He, I told you so, I told you so. He probably would have got thrown overboard. But when they'd given up hope, and it says after a long time they'd gone without food, then Paul said, Guys, I told you this was going to happen. Now, Paul's not saying, I told you so, just to rub it in. He's saying, I told you this so that his continued speaking to them would have weight or authority. In other words, I told you guys this was going to happen. I was right about this. I'm right about the things that I'm going to continue to tell you. So he's telling them this to give them understanding that the things I told you were true, Do you believe me now? Will you you listen to me now? You know, so many times that experience and being able to speak into someone's life after experiencing the things that you said have a little bit more validity. Parents all hope this is true with their kids. You know, when you say, listen, if you do this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and this will happen. And the kids say, I know what I'm doing. You know, like kids say, and they go and they do this, and then this happens, this happens, and this happens. And they come to you and you say, you know, I told you so. <laughs> and you have to be wise at how you say, I told you so, because if you say, I told you so, they won't listen to you. But if you say, when they finally, you know, well, I told you that these things would happen. So now listen to what I'm going to tell you. This is what you need to do. You see, all of a sudden, they've come to a place where, oh, what you said is true. Maybe I'll listen to you now. That's what Paul is at right there. After they've kind of given up, they've been a long time, they're beaten down, now he speaks up. And he says, hey guys, I told you this was happening. In verse 22 he says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, this is good news and bad news if you're the owner of the ship. You know, it's good news that your life is going to be there, but think about it. I've got good news. Oh, we're going to lose the ship. The owner of the ship is there on board going, is is this good news? You know, this is my life here. But he's prioritizing things here. And Paul is telling him. You know, keep your courage. Again, in this place of hopelessness, God speaks hope. And he's using Paul to speak that hope to them. Not one of you is going to be lost. Yeah, you're going to lose the ship. But last night, an angel, verse 23, an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. I I love how Paul puts these things. An angel of the God whose I am. He has this understanding of, I belong to God. And that recognition of whose I am, it comes to play. It reminds me of Joshua when he's getting ready to go into Jericho and the angel of the Lord comes before him and Joshua says, Are you for us or for our adversary? And the angel says, No, I belong to God. You you got it wrong. I don't join sides. You have to follow me. And Paul had his priorities right. God, whose I am. I belong to him. And we need to keep that priority in in perspective. We belong to God. He's not our genie that we can rub the magic lamp and make him do what we want. We belong to him. But you know what? That's the way we want it. I wouldn't want God to belong to me. I belong to him and whose I am and who I serve. And so Paul is again saying, God appeared to me through an angel, the one whose I am and who I serve. He stood beside me, verse 24, and said, do not be afraid, Paul. Now again, why is he telling Paul not to be afraid? Most likely because Paul was afraid. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. I told you already, remember? He told them that before. He said, I need for you to testify in Rome just as you had in Jerusalem. Well, he's not in Rome yet, but he had to tell him again. And I love this because Paul had to be encouraged when he was there in Jerusalem. He's got to be encouraged here when he's out to sea in the middle of this. And you know what? I need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. Your life goes through these kinds of situations, these kinds of trials, where you need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged. And so Paul, once again, was told, don't be afraid. I need you to speak to Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Verse 25, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith, what in God, that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's all I got. I don't know which island, but we're going to run aground on some... The angel wasn't clear on where we're going to go. He just said, hey, here's how it's going to happen. We're going to run aground on some island, but you're all going to be saved. You're all going to make it. And I love because he has faith in God. You know James that I quoted earlier, James 1, verses 2 through 8, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind the man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord that man should not think he is a double-minded man unstable in all he does and what a tying passage for what Paul is going through here God is producing something in Paul he's pres- producing perseverance. So that Paul can be mature, so he can be complete, so he can be lacking nothing. But if you lack wisdom, and the idea is, if you don't understand what it is you're going through, God, I don't know why this trial is in my life. Because that's the context of James. If you're going through this trial and you don't understand, ask God to give you understanding, to give you wisdom. Because he does. But then he says, when you ask God, don't be double-minded. Are you asking God to to speak into your life about the situation that you're in, where you're at right now? God gives generously. But ask in faith. Jesus said, if you, fathers, are asked by your son for, for bread, are you going to give them a stone? If they ask you for fish, are you going to give them a scorpion? How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit and good things to them that ask? God is asking us to trust Him. He's saying, believe in me. Don't doubt. I, I'm going to give you good things. Don't be double-minded. If, if you're asking saying, oh, I don't think God cares... He's saying, you're going to be tossed by the the sea. You're going to stay in that place of desperation if you don't have faith in God. And Paul was at this place where he was afraid, obviously, but all of a sudden he has faith in God, and now he could say, be of good courage. Why? Because he'd been given courage. Because all of a sudden his anchor is secure. He's not being tossed to and fro. Hey, guys, don't worry about it. I've got to go see Caesar. We're going to make it. Oh, the boat's going to be lost. We're going to land some island. I don't know where it's going to be. But we're going to get to see Caesar. He has confidence. He's not minded. He knows what God has told him to do. Do we understand what God has told us? The hope that he's given us in his son so that we aren't like a ship being tossed to and fro, just moved by our emotions, by our circumstances, by the things around us. Are we anchored to the Lord? Verse 27 says, On the 14th night, there it is, two weeks, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. I bet they did. Again, we, we, you kind of get this picture. you know the, all these nautical terms again, Luke is giving descriptive their soundings, they're dropping either a stone or something into the water to measure how deep it is when they find out 120 feet. This is this is pretty good, and then ninety feet, okay, we know we're getting close to land, but we can't see it's dark. So drop anchor, let's, let's hang tight. And then just pray for daylight. Let's pray when daylight comes, we can see something. Because for two weeks, we haven't seen a thing. Okay, you got to capture the desperation. They're, they're not just like, oh, cool, there's land nearby. They're like, oh, gosh, we're praying for daylight. And so, verse 30, it says, In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors set the lifeboats down into the sea, pretending... They were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul, now notice Paul's kind of taking charge of the situation right here. Then Paul said this to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Paul takes charge. Paul sees and understands what's going on. These guys are trying to get in the lifeboats. You know, they're getting into the little dinghies, and they're going to try and let loose. They're like, I'm out of here. I, I know there's land nearby. I'm going to go find it. They're two weeks. I'm desperate. Paul sees what's going on. He tells the centurion, unless they stay on the boat, they can't, you can't be saved. And so the centurion just cuts them loose. Don't have to worry about it now. We're all in this together. You know, God has a boat that we need to stay in. He's given us guidance and direction through the scriptures that give us how we are to live. And unless we stay in that boat, we're in trouble. And a lot of times we think, well, I just, I'm going to break loose and cut, you you just sometimes got to cut those lines and let them go and stay in the ship. Stay in what God has given us to, to walk in, in obedience, you know, Couples that are married, you gotta stay married. You you don't seek you know a relationship somewhere else. Stay in the boat. Don't get some dingy idea and go wandering off somewhere. You need to stay in that place. And a lot of things are like that, where unless you stay in that boat, you're in trouble. In the boat there is the safety. In the boat, that promise that God has given. If you stay here, I will care for you. You go outside the boat, you're on your own. And so soldiers cut the ropes, let the lifeboats fall away. Verse 33, it says, Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they had wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Now Paul says, okay, dawn's coming up we're going to make a break for it. We know lands is out here. You need your strength. The guys haven't eaten for 2 weeks, and it's not because they fasted because they were praying. And some of the translations says you have fasted. It's not a spiritual fast. They were just sick to their stomach with the suspense and this sea. You know, if you've ever been seasick, I don't know. I've gotten a little seasick once, you know, and you don't want to eat. You don't want to, you know, have a ham sandwich, you know, or whatever. You just don't want to eat. Your stomach, it's nauseous, you're queasy, your equilibrium's off, and eating does not appeal to you. For two weeks they've been doing this. And they're like, I don't want to eat. The suspense, not knowing where we're at, we're just drifting. They're just sick to their stomachs. You haven't eaten, you need your strength, because you're going to have to swim to shore. You're going to have to make a run for it. You're going to have to, when this... Grounds on some shore somewhere, you might have to swim, you're going to need some strength. Eat something. And then what I love is Paul, by example, takes bread, he breaks it, and he gives thanks. And they were encouraged. When Paul gave thanks to God, they were encouraged. When Paul brought acknowledgement to God in the midst of their situation, they were encouraged those who didn't believe those who didn't have hope saw Paul's trust and faith in God even in the midst of the storm he said I thank you God gave thanks to God for this bread broke it and what a picture that is of us for us of Jesus and when they saw this they were encouraged i want to encourage us to make sure we give God thanks in our life and in the circumstances we find ourselves in. That's why Paul could say in Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And everything give thanks. What are we thanking him for? God, I thank you that this has been an awful two weeks. I thank you for this difficulty. No, I thank you, God, that you are here. That's why. He has not abandoned me. He has not left me without hope. He has not left me without courage. God is with me. I can give thanks wherever I'm at. Even after two weeks at sea with nothing going right, I can give thanks. And when he did that, they had hope in him. They said, wow, they were encouraged. And then they got everything off the ship. They threw the grain off. The grain that they got from Egypt was a regular route that Rome would have grain going There constantly, except for those winter months when the ships couldn't travel there, they depended on it, but they needed to get as much weight off as they could because the higher the ship was in the water, the further in they could get. They knew they were going to go in for it, so they wanted to get all the weight off they could. They were going to make a go for it. So verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could cutting loose the anchors they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders then they hoisted the foresail to the excuse me hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach but the ship stuck in a sandbar and ran aground the bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Now what they did is, and we actually, they have what's called uh, the Bay of St. Paul that's there on Malta. Uh, it's pretty, they're pretty certain that this is where this happened. And the the sand there is almost like a clay in the water, and so what the ship did is it came in the front the bow, stuck in the mud, but the back end was still loose and the waves were crashing in there and started breaking the ship apart. And so they land in there, but now the ship is getting broken apart. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. That doesn't look good, but look at this. Verse 43, but the centurion, Julius, wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest then were to get on these planks. I like when it says boards in the King James because the first surfboarding mentioned in scripture. But got on these planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely, just as God told Paul would happen. They made it to shore. Once again, we see that Paul's favor with this centurion saved not only his life, but the lives of those around him. As they listened to Paul, they didn't know where they were. We don't recognize this beach, but it's land. They landed the ship crashed into the into the shore. The ship is beaten already. It's probably falling apart already. The waves crash in around it. It collapses. He says, okay, you guys who can swim, get to shore. And then those of you who can't get on some plank, something, and you'll make your way in. And sure enough, they all made it in what a what a journey well just another you know experience in the life of paul you know and you wonder i wonder god i'm your servant i'm trying to give testimony to you you told me to do it in rome as well why why do i have to deal with this i almost died they tried to they wanted to kill me You know, we almost got lost at sea. Some people were going to desert. I had to take over and take charge. Why do I have to go through this? And we're going to see in the next verses next week, God had people there on this island that Paul ended up ministering to, that he never would have ministered to had they not shipwrecked here, that the gospel would never have made it to this place had it not gone this way. Now, there's no way that Paul could have foreseen it. There's no way that anyone could have foreseen it there, There's so many things that we just don't know. We, we see so little of a picture that is so big. And unless we have faith in God for the things that we don't understand, unless we really trust in Him, lean on Him for those things that we don't understand, we're going to be, just like James says, like the... Waves of the sea are going to toss us back and fro. We're just not going to know where we're at. We're going to be uncertain. We're going to be in turmoil. We're going to have just doubt. We're going to have lack of courage. We're going to be afraid. But when we trust in God, because he will, like Paul, he did with Paul, he will speak into your life, and he will tell you, don't be afraid. He will speak into your life and tell you, I have a plan. He will speak into your life and say, this is what I want you to do. He is faithful. When is he going to speak? When? I don't know. I'm sure Paul wished it was earlier than it was. I'm sure they all did. But God is faithful. Have faith in God. Because he's got a plan. He's at work. He is going to be with those who are his. The God whom we belong, who we serve, is caring and working in our lives for us and to do things in us. As, as we're ending the book of Acts here and we've been on this journey are there things that have stood out to you guys as far as maybe lessons that you've seen or learned through Peter, through Paul just in there that stand out to you just kind of re- recollecting you know what has happened or even in this chapter are there things that you can identify with or relate or things that you maybe could shed light on for us regarding these things how it's come to life with you in your life does that make sense let's pray Father there is so much that we can learn from or just what we've read and I I pray that your spirit would imprint our minds and our memories to remember these things and apply the the things that Paul did how he trusted and how he had faith in you. May we remember to do those things as we find ourselves in, in storms and situations. May we remain faithful to you. May we stay in that boat, God. May we not... Take off or abandon our faith because of circumstances. May the seed remain in in good soil, Father, and produce fruit for you. May we not be double minded. May, May we ask for wisdom. May we wait on you. May we put our faith and our trust in you. God, have hope that you are at work and going to to answer in your time, Lord. And I do pray that you would speak into our lives, Lord, those who are in circumstances and just maybe find themselves out to sea and stranded and concerned and worried. I pray that you would speak courage into their life as well. Give them faith. Help them to see you are with them, Lord, in the midst of the storm. And I thank you, God, for your faithfulness to work in our lives. Lord, I do pray that you would continue to Draw us to yourself, Lord, and reveal yourself to us. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.